Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest wakes up every day pumped to run, exciting to work, and energized to connect with people. She is the host of Grounded Podcast. She's also dedicated to fresh produce and spec maximizer for a multi-unit national restaurant chain. The director of national accounts for Produce Alliance, please welcome Lauren Mitchell. Welcome, Lauren. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's great having you on the show. Um, so this show, we focus on the endurance mindset. And so my favorite question to ask is, Lauren, tell me how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, being in business development and customer service, you know, I think that the adventures that come from living a, a, a life of filled with sport and endurance running um, are just so fun. Those conversations are so fun to carry into industry events and just throughout the workday. So unexpectedly, it's a collection of all these experiences and adventures that I've had that come out in conversation either when a state comes up or if we're in a particular place, be it mountain or on a beach and kind of some of the experiences that have that have been there before. And it just brings about such great conversation. Um, and so I think that's probably the most unexpected advantage or treasure that I that I hold to um this this box of unlocks that I can just continue to to unpack and discuss and then hear you know, from their experience, you know, maybe something that ha had been special for them as well. So yeah, good for conversation and connection, I guess. Long story absolutely. short. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just thinking about that a little bit deeper, is it, or maybe it's both of these, but is it more around the conversation of, hey, I can't believe that you do that, all the running, the volume of running that you do, or is it that they also are into an endurance sport or long distance running or something. And there's a connection of like, Hey, we're both, we're both crazy people. Let's talk about how crazy we are. I, I would say more commonly it's the first it's what you run a hundred miles. I don't even like to drive a hundred miles, right? Probably the most common thing that I hear. Um, but what is most fun is when you uncover someone that it may not be running, but they're a, I think it's called a Velodome bike racer. And I had a, a a friend that I had no idea he wasn't a runner, but he's like, but I race bikes on a track. I'm like, what, what is that about? So again, just kind of making these connections that although it may not be running, it's some other amazing experience or sport that they're into it could be rock climbing, so on and so forth. So. And so taking that, one step further out of those conversations, what has, what's an example of something that happened in your life that you were like, wait a second, I never expected that to actually happen. But now that I had this connection, it, it came just naturally. It, you know, running has been, like I said, it's been a, a point of connection at conferences and, um, you know, in, in meeting someone at an event, they, mentioned that they were in town and would love to go for a run. And I said, bring your whole crew down to your lobby. I'll take you guys out for a run tomorrow morning. And then unexpectedly, we're on an eight-mile run the next morning talking about business, work, travel. And uh, we've stayed in touch at forthcoming conference and events just to set up runs together. 
And again, unexpected, you know, great experience, awesome memory. And then now um, when I travel back to that same city, I'll run that same route and then post on my Strava, like in honor of blank, the blank, the customer name, and they love it. So it's just continues to unfold all these points of, of connections and opportunities. That's awesome. I could totally see that, especially around conferences when the same set of people are getting together and there's nothing better, at least in my opinion, especially at a conference where you're sitting in these, you know, dull lit rooms for seven, eight hours, nothing better than having that morning run and getting the blood flowing and the mind moving. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, one of my mentors before I started this particular role, which does involve national account management. So I knew there'd be some travel um, and I knew there'd be lots of dinners out and, you know, cocktail happy hours. I, I don't drink. And so um, when a mentor brought me on, he, you know, I said, I don't know that I'm going to be able to attend all these events, these evening things, you know, go out and, and, and court clients. Um, I'm just not that kind of person. And he said, do, do it your way, fly in and take them for a run, fly in and take them for a cool hike, give them something to remember. And I have taken that to heart. And out of that has been, uh, so many amazing experiences with people great opportunities to get to know them because it's one-on-one -on -one, uninterrupted conversation. And again, you're kind of pushing them out of their comfort zone because they aren't used to being asked to go for a hike. They're used to being taken out to a steak dinner. So a hundred percent. You know, I was at a, a conference last week and the, the mentality of the group is, Hey, it's 11 PM. We're just getting started. <laughs> and that was me 10 years ago. Now, to your point, I'd rather be up at 5 a.m. in the gym with somebody else if they're up for it. Um, I'm curious, do you see that shifting within sort of the business development, sales and marketing persona that there's more individuals in that space doing the morning routine or a different thing other than the, the old school, you know, steak and martinis into a late night? Dining <laughs> and dining. You know, I hope. Um, I, I can't predict it, but I can say it usually just takes one. Um, and so, you know, those trailblazers can create kind of the, I guess, represent what that looks like. You know, some people, most people are used to just the dinners, cocktail hours, and then let's let's hit the town after for part of these networking events. It's not typical for someone to try and um you know, put together a CrossFit session early in the morning. But if you've got one or two and and then you kind of break some of the the chains, people people tend to then have something to reference in terms of a context for that experience. And then they, you know, it's repeatable. So um, I do just think it takes one or two. And I hope that more continue to just, uh, you know, blaze that kind of trail. And, um, you know, and, and the other end too is, and I always, I always reference a hotel gym in the morning because, you're all at an event, but then in the very early morning, it's those that show up into the gym at 6, 6.30. It's a special tribe. Um, you just kind of have that mad respect for each other because you know that you know it's an, a priority for you all. You share that. And then you head into the event together, just fully charged. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> I've also noticed um, like you give those little smirks, right? You pass somebody at the conference and you're both in the gym that morning, just yeah. randomly there. You knew <laughs> that both of you are kind of on a different different wavelength than the rest. Absolutely. Uh, Lauren, I'm curious, when folks come up, you, know, you do a tremendous, well, and we'll get into your, your athletic history, 
But one of the questions I'm sure somebody asks you all the time is like, how do you do it? Like, how do you find the time to do the work, to do your life and also participate in athletics? I mean, number one, you make it a priority. Um, number two, I'm a firm believer that although, you know, by making it a priority, I got to wake up extra early. If it doesn't happen before 5 a.m., it's probably not going to happen. While most think that that would create you to be more tired throughout the day, it's actually the opposite. I draw a lot of energy from getting up early and and, and throwing down a good run. Um, and And I absolutely notice it on days where I opt to just try and sleep in and get that extra rest. I just feel different throughout the rest of the day. I mean, running truly feels my legs, but also my mind, my creativity. Um, and so, yeah, how do I find the time? Uh, mom of four, full-time job, certainly, you know, seems easy to just say, you know what, let's put that one to the side for today. But I, and there's too many benefits that, you know, I just, it, it's a priority and it always will be for me. I've just seen too many gains. I'm curious, um, with that such with such an early morning routine, talk to me about your night before. Mm -hmm. Is there preparation? Do you have a, a ritual, a habit, a preparation that kind of sets you up for success? But when that alarm clock goes off at 4.45 to have your shoes on by 5 a.m. to be out the door? You know, I, I don't know that many people um, probably share this, but my kids actually tuck me in. It's not something that I like to admit, but while most mothers tuck their kids in, more often than not, um, I'll be in bed and they'll come around because they're on their way to bed to say, Good night, mom. It's like just become this new routine. I, I've got to be in bed by 9, 9 30 and at least start shutting off the phone by then. Um, you know, I don't set out my clothes. Um, it's just, it's been a, a habit now for over 20 years. So I'm just used to doing it. Um, but I, I do feel that going to bed early is important. In fact, if I if I am out at a company event, a baseball game, something that starts to go long, I do always tell people, you know, past 1030, I tend to turn into a pumpkin. So I might be on an Uber home and uh, enjoy the rest of the night. So, you know. It's wonderful that they they accept it and they're willing to go because <laughs> um, it is to your point, right? The night before it's so important. And it also leads me into thinking, and I'd love to know how you incorporate this into your training. Like, what about recovery? Do you have an active recovery schedule? I don't. I, I'm able to run far and consistently without being injured. But I recommend recovery. It's just hard because I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, high tolerance for pain. I don't, I don't and haven't had any running injuries. So I wish I found more time to stretch and I, I consider recovery to look like that. stretching. Um, you know, I absolutely drink lots of water throughout the day. Fortunately, I haven't suffered from any major injuries that have really forced me into this recovery period. So I can stay pretty consistent in my training. But one of the things that works for me is just a 60 minute core power heated yoga class once a week. Um, I'm locked in a room. It's a guided movement through all the stretches. And then I find that the heated room really helps support just the muscle. Um, so I, I need that kind of accountability and coaching through that more um, wind, wound down period um, because I do tend to to err on the opposite side, right? I, 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 I'm easily motivated. I can get out the door for a run, but where I probably need the most support and accountability is in recovery and stretching and things like that. But outside of just lots of water, good rest and 
and trying to hit that yoga class once a week. Uh, it's pretty much it. Is it same time, same day for that yoga class? It is. It's a Sunday at 2 p.m. And it's a really neat way to finish up the week and think about what I want to prioritize for the next week. I love it. I do this 168-hour scheduling exercise the week before, and I always put something fun for myself. And it could be a yoga class. It could be a meditation. It could be a hike. It could be. And I find that going across the week when I'm having a tougher day, it's like, you know what? At least on Friday at two o'clock, I'm going to be able just to go slip away for whatever I put on my calendar for that day. Sure. Oh, and I'd love to talk to you about your podcast. Um, give us the meat and potatoes of it and then how it came to life. And as another podcast you know, host, I'd love to sort of share some stories. Well, I've never been a host of a podcast. I've listened to them for the last three or four years. I love listening to, you know, sport performance, psychology, business leadership um, podcasts. And, you know, I think that's been another unexpected gain from running is over two or three years of just listening to conversations. You build your vocabulary, but you also learn a heck of a lot heading into a work day. Um, so when my company put together a Shark Tank competition, they split us into 22 teams uh, ahead of an all-company event. And the goal was one thing, to solve a problem that our company is currently facing or something that our industry is facing. Um, and coming from a business development and sales background, I thought, gee, it's getting tougher and tougher to send someone an email and try and set up a call and get get in the door that way. And I've I've led sales teams in the past and I've watched them do it over and over for weeks and months. It is very clear to me, at least in food service, not only is our industry small, but it's about the relationships that you have. And so I thought, how great would it be to, to have a platform where we could just invite these folks on, these supply chain executives, you know, post-COVID, no one's been more focused on supply chain and, and have a conversation with them. Hear about some of the challenges that they've um, navigated through and, and listen to some of the tips that they have for those coming into the industry and just purely let it be a, a, just a, a discussion point and perhaps use some of the things and the learnings from the conversation to support our business. Um, well, Lo and behold, um, our team won, and um, the name "Grounded" for the podcast is is great in terms of food service and fresh produce procurement. You know, it, you think of a field and where a lot of our products start from the ground. Um, actually, came from my nanny at the time who got a tattoo on her foot, and it was grounded. And that same day, our team was trying to think of our team name. So it's just so funny how some of these things stick. Um, but my company afforded me the opportunity to hire a production team and actually launch the podcast. Um, I had a couple guests come on to start and I was so nervous to have a conversation. No idea other than just what I learned from listening to podcasts. But I still had this crazy fire and, and firm belief that this would really become something special for those in our industry that people don't normally hear from. Everyone eats out every day, but not a lot of people understand where the food on their plate comes from. Um, so these stories behind Raising Cane's and Tropical Smoothie Cafe and some of your favorite restaurants, you know, you've no idea the sourcing and procurement that goes on behind the scenes to move products across the U.S. and into those restaurants. Um, so it has been such an awesome experience. And um, I have so adored the conversations with the guests and the relationships that I've been able to develop with them following uh, having them on. So, yes, grounded. I hope everyone gives it a listen. <laughs> It will certainly be in our show notes. Um, 
retell one of the stories that you've that you've heard. Like, I'm not in the food service. I'm fortunate enough that when I do go out to eat, the food just shows up. Like it's on the it's in print, and then it shows up. And I don't know. <laughs> Educate us on how on, on what happens sort of behind the scenes, and if you could use, if you want to. A, a guest story of of what they do, uh, Smoothie King. Um, yeah, give us some insights. Educate us, please. Yeah, I think one of the um, you know the common the common things for those that come into a produce category management role or director of procurement is they may have not only fresh produce in their category, but they might have linens and dairy or bakery and seasonings. Who knows? Um, but it's the combination of having all those categories that can really put some of these jobs to be pretty astounding. And so the number one um, greatest skill that anyone can can really have in that role is really understanding your cost inputs, right? So they're managing the cost of that category, the price of the ingredients, but also food safety um, and Q&A. So they all recommend and they all talk about their experience traveling the whole path of their product. So let's take a carrot. That would start in Salinas, California, out in a field, standing on the truck and watching the jumbo carrot getting harvested right out of the field and then put into the, the shipping house, um, ran down the line. And if it's a, a further processed carrot, like your carrot stick at Buffalo Wild Wings or um, maybe it's a matchstick carrot in your your stir fry at Payway. Um, you know, goes through and in, in, into a processing facility, um, and then you drive it on a truck all the way to a distributor, and then the distributor loads it onto a truck to make that final mile into the back of the restaurant, along with their broccoli florets and their bean sprouts, and um, you start to understand that that carrot that's arriving right there in the back of the the kitchen is is in fact affected by fuel charge because it's made it on the truck mm. by the price of labor in California because it's the farmers that are that are harvesting it out of the fields um in so many different uh hands along the way so a lot of what we're seeing right now is just that vertical supply integration where you know what part of that process once you have all your cost inputs you know where can you either reduce part of that, shorten it in order to make sure the freshness is there, um, or, you know, just ensure you're, you're working with the right supplier partners. So. That's really helpful. Um, <laughs> and the, the question that came to mind, it's a little bit different topic, but being so close to food and food service, has that changed how you eat? Like what your eating habits are, your nutrition, how you see food? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just have so much appreciation for uh, the drivers. I mean, over the road drivers that get it um, through, you know, Montana, Wyoming in the winters and into Minnesota in a produce distributor warehouse, but also the drivers that wake up two, three in the morning and hit the football stadiums first deep underground to make sure that all of that food that's arriving for that in-game experience is there. And then they go and do the rest of their route, which is downtown. And, and then you get into the suburban strip centers. I mean, there's They'll stop 100 and 150 times throughout the course of 2 a.m. to 2 p.m. just to make sure that they're rolling in, you know, 20, 30 cases on a dolly at each time. So definitely appreciation when I'm eating out, but also just fascination about, you know, the improvement in supply chain, too. I mean, going to the grocery store now, you can get edible flowers uh, to put on your salad when you're serving at home. And that used to be, you know, something very special just from a, a restaurant standpoint. And we've got it into retail now. Or your sprinkle heirloom tomatoes. You know, we've got grape tomatoes, we've got cherry tomatoes, but now we've got 
basically half the size of a cherry tomato in an heirloom tricolor variety. There's just getting to be such improvement and so much innovation in, in the food service space. It's really been splendid to see. So, so with your, pers your personal eating habits, do you bring that, other than just the variety and the, and the ability to have better food at the grocery store, like talk to many of our audience are long distance runners, we're endurance, like we focus on nutrition. Any insights or, or secret tips that you have that you follow that could be beneficial to the group? A frozen burrito in your running vest usually thaws to the perfect temperature about 30 miles in. That's the best that I can offer. I, I, I happen to eat healthy. I, it's not intentional. I just, I do enjoy having good solid chicken breast and good fresh produce rather than eating a big burger and then heading out the door the next morning. I just, I don't like the way that that feels in my stomach, but I'm not really over one way or the other. I mean, I definitely need some good protein following a run and I'll, I'll get a burger and fries, but, um, it's not something that I do frequently. So it does feel like a treat. Um, but yeah, no tips, just do what works for your body. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. if quinoa is, is being blasted around as the number one healthy, this, that, but it doesn't sit well for you. It doesn't mean you're not a healthy eater. Just find what works for you. Very, very well said. So Lauren, switching gears, talk to us about you, your childhood, where you grew up, how you got into what you're doing. I got into running just like podcasting very accidentally. I, um, you know, I was raised running five and 10 Ks by my dad, but coming out of college, uh, there was a half marathon in my hometown and I thought, well, what the heck? If I can run three miles, I can run 13. And about three or four miles into the course, there was a split off for the marathoners and the half marathoners. And I thought, gosh, that'd be so funny if I actually could finish a full marathon today untrained. And, um, you know, a lot of people train many months and years for something like that. I'm just going to knock it out today. Um, my dad happened to be there and he was waiting for me at the half marathon finish, expecting me to come in around two hours and you know, around three and a half hours, he asked the, the paramedics if if they had seen me on the course at all. And they said, yeah, she's actually at 22. And he was like, 22. <laughs> so lo and behold, I finished a marathon and I thought, well, geez, if I can finish one, you know, untrained, I would love to see what I could do training for one. So that's how I got into it by sheer adventure and unexpected impulsivity. Um, and here we are 58 marathons later. <laughs> wow. Man, you're making my palm sweat just thinking about being untrained for a full marathon <laughs> run. Um, what's your favorite race story? I mean, my hundreds are my favorites. They're just, it's, you can't knock those out frequently. I do about one a year. So it is truly a celebration of all the training that's led up to it. Um, you know, I had, had aimed to do a really good mountain hundred and then COVID hit. So uh, my husband just knows the way to my heart, knows that I get my my mind focused on something and it can be tough to to steer me off. So I was super disappointed when COVID took away races and he was like, we could still do a hundred. Let's just put together a crew and we know the course. We'll just do it on our own. Um, and that was a really special hundred because it showed me that, you know, I don't need the whole production of an actual race. It's really just about the mileage and the crew. And, and for 100-mile races, it's truly about the crew. I mean, you cannot do those events unless you've got the support and the fuel in your body to get your legs from 1 to 100. Um, and so we knocked it out. And um, in fact, it just 
I got a picture yesterday that popped up that it was three years ago and it's all of us on the trail and it's definitely near and dear to my heart. That's fantastic. Uh, any favorite books that talk about people's racing and their adventures and, and those types of things? I know there's a handful out there and I've got a few on my list, but I'm curious what yours is. My absolute book that I recommend, my absolute favorite book that I recommend to everyone is by Dina Castor, Let Your Mind Run. Um, it really, if that book doesn't make you just want to put it down, hop out the door the next morning, um, I don't know what will. She she writes so beautifully and talks about how the nature fuels her legs. And I can really uh, relate to that as well. Any other lessons in that book that, that are worth grabbing onto? I just, I love how um, she talks about always being able to go faster than she ever thought possible. And that's usually in the context of a group run. Um, you know, she trained with a lot of men and she was never in the front, but she always was in the back, but that really gave her that mental toughness for racing. And it also caused her to run faster than even what she felt possible because she just hung on to their hips is how I call it. Um, or just try to keep them in her sight. Uh, so it's really cool. I mean, women are getting faster and faster, but I think it's great to have uh, a male running partner because it can really push you beyond what you think possible. I love the the mental toughness and where my mind went when you said that was then bringing it back to work for you. Um, talk to us about how you bring that mental toughness, how the, the mental toughness that you develop through your distance running, how you then apply that or see that sort of present itself in your work life or even your family life. Yeah, no, I think it definitely, I use it in both. Work presents challenges every single day in fresh produce supply chain. Um, you know, you have to work really quickly. You're solving problems every day. Um, and so I think that resilience carries over um, and just the ability to, 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 to handle and navigate some of those challenges with confidence, um, but also motivate others to just kind of stay afloat and stay in the fight. Um, that comes a lot from running and then, um, you know, just the prioritization, you know, I know that every minute is important, uh, working full time and having four kids. Um, and so, you know, knowing that I get that hour, hour and a half in the morning to myself really, uh, carries over into the time that I get to spend and be deeply present with my kids because I'm, I'm not half in anything. I'm all in wherever I am. So I have found the same. Uh, with triathlon training, it, it forces you to collapse time. And if you could do something in 15 minutes instead of 20 minutes, then that's five extra minutes for family, another project, your to-do list, who knows? And so that prioritization is, is a, a great unexpected benefit, at least for me, mm -hmm. by tackling on tackling these, what seem to be bigger than life challenges. So Lauren, how can an audience member get in touch with you? You know, I'm on LinkedIn, so give me a message in LinkedIn and I would love to hear about your adventures and connect with you that way. Fantastic. Well, it's been great having you on the show. I, I can't believe the amount of running volume that you get in with a full-time job, with four kids. Um, and I also appreciated you talking about, you know, that Sunday afternoon, 60 minutes, hot yoga just allows you to sort of decompress from the week behind you and re-energize for the week in front of you. And that, that's a, a critical message to, in my opinion, for our audience to take away is like, Hey, make that time for yourself so that the rest of the people around you have 
you fully engaged and fully present when when you're around. Um, Lauren, again, it was awesome having you on the show. I appreciate your stories and I, I still can't understand how you get it all done, but you do. So congratulations to that. Thank you so much, Greg. It's been great to be on. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits 